0: Well, once again, good morning. It's great to be with you and bringing you the word this day. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. The first reading as is the custom after Easter, is from Acts 11, 1 to 18. Listen. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheep coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, And it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them. And not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could hinder God? When they had heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. And then we come to John 13, the gospel lesson for today which is verses 31 to 35. Now, tell me if you've heard this anywhere recently. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am only with you a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So where have you last heard this? Any of you heard this recently within the last couple months? Well, For those of you who were here on Maundy Thursday, which is the Thursday of Holy Week, I was here with Pastor Tim and we served communion and we had our Maundy Thursday and our Tenebrae and our Garden of Gethsemane evening together and we read this passage. So doesn't it seem kind of weird that the lectionary would put this passage during the Easter season because it's set right at the end of Jesus's life. These are the kind of things that pastors wonder about. Why would this be here at this time in the lectionary? One would think it would be more appropriate for Lent than it is for Easter. But in John's Gospel, this farewell discourse of Jesus with the disciples immediately before the crucifixion regularly speak of his departure which is a term that includes his death, his resurrection, and the return to the Father. So this language is typical of John's gospel, where the incarnation is depicted as a journey from the Father down to earth and back to the Father again. And for that reason, today's selection is really apt for this season between Easter and Pentecost which if you, you can believe it, Pentecost is only three weeks away already. Now, first, you have to look at the context in which this passage um, came. The verses right before it recount Jesus' prediction of Judas's betrayal, concluding with his departure from the group and the poignant observation, and it was night. The verses following the lesson relate to Jesus' prediction about Peter denying him three times. And between these two dark and foreboding brackets comes this declaration of Jesus' glorification. So you shouldn't lose this irony here, okay? At the darkest moment in the narrative when the anticipation of human failure seems certain because colleagues are conspiring to undermine the leader, this announcement is made of Jesus' glorification. His moment of exaltation and honor and praise is set against this backdrop of betrayal and denial. The word now that's so prominent in verses 31 of chapter 13 has a double reference. On the one hand, it Comes at a time of incredible disloyalty and faithlessness, but on the other hand, at the right moment, the moment of fulfillment, the time for returning to the Father. Nothing's been left undone or incomplete, and Jesus' last words from the cross wrap it all up when he says, It is finished. The betrayal and the denials don't deter or thwart the divine intention. Secondly, we observe that the mutuality between God and the Son of Man in the moment of glorification, we get to actually see this take place. It's a little bit awkward, the language here, in its effort to draw the two together into this one climactic event. God's glory is made known as the Father is glorified in the Son, and the Son is glorified in the Father. John's characteristic Christiology emerges here, okay? As it did in the gospel lesson from last week. The Father and I are one. Now, I know Tim doesn't preach on the lectionary, but I've been preaching all throughout May. I'm preaching the next two Sundays, and the lectionary right now is in John, so that's what I'm sticking with. Okay? But this underscores Jesus is the full revelation of God, okay? Particularly at this moment of his death and departure. And these actions of Judas, Peter, all these religious authorities, Caiaphas, Pilate, the soldiers, they only serve as a foil to the real action. Namely, the reciprocal disclosure of the identity of of the Son and the Father being one. They're united. They can't be separated like the boys and the girls, as Peter told Mm -hmm. our kids. Third, there's an appropriate word for the disciples who are faced with the impossibility of following Jesus at his departure. He says to them, I give you, what? A new commandment. That you love one another. This pain of separation is addressed with the reminder about their mutual relationship in the community of faith. But if the commandment is a reminder, why is it called new? What distinguishes it from all the other places in the Bible where we're told to love one another? We've heard this before. Well, there's two things that make it new a new and unparalleled model for love has been given the disciples and also, by extension, each one of us. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Jesus, who had loved his own in the world and was returning to the Father, loved everyone to the end. Okay? In Jesus, the disciples have a concrete, living expression of what love is all about. It can't be trivialized or reduced to just an emotion or debated over as if it were a philosophical virtue under scrutiny. Jesus now becomes the distinctive definition of what love is all about. And two, Jesus' love for the disciples not only provides a new paradigm, it inaugurates a new era. The Johnine eschatology is heavily tilted to a realized rather than a futuristic direction. This has happened. It's happened now, right now, not at some point in the future. And while you can speak of continuity with the past and hope for the future, the present moment is what is the decisive one. Jesus' coming opens up a radically new, different situation in which the life of the age to come is no longer only to be awaited as a future possibility. It's happening right now as we speak. At the center of this new era is the community established by Jesus, the intimate family whom he affectionately addresses as little children. So in fact, when Peter calls the little children to come forward for the children's message, he's really talking about each one of us. Okay, We're all in this together. Okay, What holds this family together and makes it stand out about all the rest is the love members have for one another. Which is how I feel about this community of faith that I've been a part of since I was 20 years old. I grew up here in this church. So, as I've been pondering this passage over the last month, trying to think of an example of a story that I can tell you that can kind of tie it all together. And over the last six weeks, there's been an experience that happened to me at my secular job, which I want to share with you all. And it has to do with COVID. And as you can see, we're all still wearing our masks. And anybody that doesn't think COVID is still out there, you haven't obviously been listening to the news. It's still very, very much a part of our lives. So imagine my surprise when about... Six weeks ago, I come into work on a Monday morning and one of my colleagues also comes into work that morning and she is unmasked, she is coughing up a lung, she has a runny nose, she's sneezing constantly, she can barely speak, she has laryngitis and she says good morning and I can tell that she's very sick. And so I say, good morning. I said, are you okay? And she goes, yeah, I just have a bit of a cold. And she sits down at her desk, and she warms up her computer, and she starts to work, and she keeps coughing, sniffling, and I say to her, are you going to go to the doctor? And then I have the horrendous faux pas of saying, did you take a COVID test? And she goes off the wall, ballistic on me. You know, Sue, I don't need you being my drill sergeant. And, you know, I don't believe in, in all that stuff. And uh, what else did she say? She says, you know, it, it, it's really okay. I, I don't need you policing me. Okay. We're not going to judge. I'm supposed to love all people. I keep thinking about this passage through all of this happening at my office. But I'm the team lead of a pod in our office of about 15 people, and many of us have been in the office physically, although some are still working remotely. And I'm worried about them because I love them all. And so I horrendously send an email to just the eight or so people from my team who are in the office not the whole 100-person law firm, and I say, please be careful, such and such appears to have a cold. Okay? Well, to make a long story short, within about a half hour of that, she's asked to leave by our office manager. She doesn't go home and take a COVID test, despite the fact she says she will. The next day, I inquire as to how she's doing. She says, I'm a little bit better, She's still angry at me, and I said, I'm sorry if I upset you yesterday. I'm an immunocompromised person. I have bad asthma, and I'm worried about you and the rest of your coworkers. Well, we don't see her for four or five weeks after that. Sure enough, a few days later, I hear that she's tested positive for COVID. So she gets well. She works remotely. She never comes back to the office. Nobody really knows why, okay? Then about five weeks ago, four weeks ago maybe, the office manager and my senior partner boss call me into the conference room. Well, it's never great when you're called into the conference room by your boss and the office manager, okay? They sit me down, I'm like, what's the matter? Pat's like, oh, you're such a great assistant. We love you. You're great. Da, 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 da. And I go, I'm like, but somebody for, follow, filed a formal complaint against you for breaching their privacy regarding their illness. I'm like, what? Okay. Maybe two years ago at the start of the pandemic, I might've understood that, but I was under the apparently mistaken impression that your right to privacy concerning COVID and your coworkers when you work in an office wasn't as important as keeping people safe. Silly me. That's what I thought. Okay, whether you agree with me or you agree with her, It doesn't matter because we're not to judge. The point is, for the last five weeks, I've been really struggling with feeling totally betrayed by this person I thought was my friend, who didn't feel comfortable enough coming to me and talking it out, and instead went and complained about me, rather than trying to resolve the situation with me. I told her I was sorry, She just didn't seem to accept it. Now the choice I have is, how am I going to react to this person going forward? And I keep going back to the words of this gospel passage. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay? This past Friday, we had a 60th birthday surprise party for my boss. And in the course of planning it, She said she'd bring something and at the party she hugged me and I think that we're on the road to reconciliation with one another, okay? But it's really, really tough when you feel betrayed and hurt and, you know, ganged up against and she didn't get in trouble whatsoever for coming in and possibly contaminating 25 people in our office. But I was the one that got scolded. Happens. You know, you learn, and I apologize, and I said I was sorry. This is what keeps us grounded when things like this happen. We have to be able to look at the gospel and say, Jesus wanted us to love all people. We're not to judge. We're to be open. We're to be forgiving. We're to be inclusive of all, and so that's how I try to live my life. People think pastors are perfect, and clearly you're mistaken in that regard. We are just like you and the person sitting next to you. We do things that are perhaps a little unskillful. We apologize. We try to do it better next time. We try to live out the gospel that Jesus has taught us. Now, you might be wondering, okay, how does the song Love Me Do have anything to do with this, which is the title of the sermon? It must be rock and roll day, because first we do a U2 song, and now we're talking about the Beatles. So in the course of planning my boss's 60th birthday party, I think, okay, well, let me listen to some music back from 1962 when he was born. And one of the first songs that comes up is Love Me Do. You all know this song. Everybody's heard this song a million times. First, number one song the Beatles had in America. If you look it up on Wikipedia, you'll find out a lot of other interesting things about it, like they did three versions. They ended up going with the second one with Ringo as opposed to the first one. You can read about it on Wikipedia. It's interesting. But Love Me Do... Is exactly the type of song that reminds me of this passage. And every time I think of this passage, I think of that song. Because Jesus is basically saying, If you love me, do what I would do. Okay? If you say you love me, do to others what you would want them to do to you. So when I think of it that way, I really realize that with my co worker, my best horse forward is not to act resentful, not to be giving her the silent treatment and not um, welcoming her back into the office, but to, as my mother says, kill her with kindness. Because that is indeed what Jesus would want me to do. Not be, um, you know, very upset and holding on to it forever as that's only going to hurt me. I hope these... Musings help you as you encounter many people in your world as you go out uh, and live it that upset you, that wrong you, that you don't agree with their opinions. It doesn't have to be, okay, I can't associate with that person. You love them anyway, and you let them be them, and you be you. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this unending love that Jesus brought to each one of us. We ask that you have that love radiate through us so that when we leave this place, people will see in our words, in our deeds, in everything that we are, that we love as you have loved us. Help us to not be resentful and angry over those who wrong us. Help us to observe this love-me-do attitude each day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.